our children be dismissed to Children's Church. And surely to the Lord alone belongs the highest praise. And we're glad to, privileged in fact, to give that to him. We're in uh, Romans chapter 9 today. Say that hindsight is 2020, and uh, as we as we're in the midst of a situation, sometimes we can't quite see clearly how things are or what's really going on. But later on, when we look we look back at the situation, we can see, oh, this is why that happened. This is what was going on. Um, these were the things that were occurring during that time. I couldn't see, and we start to maybe connect the dots. Now is all we can see is dots before our eyes. But later on down the road, those dots will start to connect and we'll see that's what God was doing. Uh, so God's plan is not always clear or evident at the moment, but we can be sure he will make it clear in his time. In this passage of uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11... Um, Paul has taken a kind of excursus uh, a break from chapter 8 which he resumes in chapter 12 to talk about how the gospel relates particularly to Israel and chapter 9 and 10 and 11 of Romans talks about the past present and future of Israel and how the gospel relates in the past of Israel the present of Israel and the future of Israel so we're in chapter Nine, how the gospel relates to the past of Israel and how that affects even today our view of how God works. At the end of this section of Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul gets just so caught up in the, the wonderment of, of how God has connected all those dots and makes everything clear that go to the end of chapter 11. Starting at verse uh, 33. As Paul writes about and contemplates these things of God's plan towards Israel and towards us, he sums up by saying, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to, him, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And so we are in the midst of that kind of a section today where, where Paul is, is going to summarize for us some of that infinite wisdom of God. He's going to bring into clarity what's, what God's plan has been throughout time. We'll be looking at verses 24 through 29 today. Verse 24 speaks of uh, even us whom he called not of the Jews only but also of the Gentiles 
Now, we, we ended with that verse last week, and we begin with it this week because it's kind of a, a hinge verse. But to go back and pick up that sentence at its beginning, let's go back to verse 22. Remembering uh, as Paul was talking about how God has the right as the potter does over the clay to make what he wants to of it. Uh, God can do whatever he desires and he is always right in what he does because his desires are always righteous. So verse 22, what if God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Now Paul is making a, a, a slight diversion here. He had only been talking about the Jews up to this time and God's working among them. But now he talks about the God's calling, including not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. God's calling includes Gentiles as well as Jews. So, um, getting back to the point of verses 6 through 13, uh, you see verses 14 through 24 were kind of like a, a parenthesis in order for Paul to address a question that came up. And um, in light of what he said in verses 12 and especially 13, as it is written, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated, that being such a startling statement, Paul felt necessary to have this parenthetical paragraph to better explain that. And he, he asked the question for uh, an objector, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not, and he goes on to explain why, explain why God is not unrighteous in his choice of saying, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. So at this point that we're at now, in verses 24 and following, Paul is getting back to the point he had originally made in verses 6 through 13, which is, who are the children of God? Who, who are the rightful children of God? Is it people who are just naturally born in someone's lineage or is there something more to it and what what Paul is saying is it's not just people who are born of Abraham it is people who belong to Abraham's kind of faith who by faith believe in God and who are people of the promise so starting at verse 6 again but it's not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. That is, there's spiritual Israel and physical Israel. And out of the whole of physical Israel, there's a remnant. There's some who believe those were spiritual Israel. And he gives this example, nor are they all children because they are seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. Remember that Ishmael was also seed of Abraham. But he was not a son of promise, only Isaac was. So it's, it's not only by physical descent, there's something more. It has to do with God's working and faith. And so that's the, the message that Paul is presenting in verses 6 through 13. And he's getting back to that now and, in, uh, and broadening it to not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. So 
in this section he is getting back to the the point that having a right relationship with God is by faith and it is by God's working now verse 24 even us whom he called not, not of the Jews only but also of the Gentiles now this is getting back to the future what Paul is explaining here in, in verses 25 through 29 is how God had spoken before he's, he's bringing up how God's prophets back in the Old Testament have been given a future vision so he's saying here, here's where we are now this is our situation now but if you go back in time to, to the prophets God was giving them a, a vision of what in the future and that, that future vision is now being initiated in Paul's day the time of the gospel and it will be uh, completed in the latter days but that, that vision that was back here was not for that time but looking to the future that's why I say he's going back to talk about the future and he goes back to a couple of important passages that we'll look at in a moment he goes from calling people not my people to calling them my people and certainly that is a significant change if it's like saying you don't belong to me to changing that to you do belong to me you are special to me you are mine so we see that in verses 25 and 26 as he says also in Hosea I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them you are not my people that they shall be called sons of the living God now with that in mind um, keep your spot here and go back to Hosea chapter 1 We're going to look at Hosea 1, 2 through 2, 1. Now Hosea is first of the minor prophets. You have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Then right after Daniel is Hosea. Or 473 verses past Jeremiah 45, 1. You have Hosea 1, if that helps you find it. But Hosea 1, we'll just look at, starting at verse 2, and read this chapter and the first verse of the next. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and the children of harlotry, from the land, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So Hosea is going to serve as a, as a picture of what Israel in their adultery, their spiritual adultery has done to God. God who has treated them like a wife and loved them. They have, they have uh, committed spiritual adultery to him. So he's telling Hosea, you're going to be a picture of this. So go take a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry because of that so he went and took Gomer 
Now you know this is the story's going downhill when you have to marry someone named Gomer. <laughs> this is not going to work out well for Hosea. So he goes and marries Gomer. But he has, he has someone to blame for it, her father. You can always blame the in-laws. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of the blame. <laughs> See that? The blame. The blame was with the father-in-law. Actually, it's pronounced Diblaim, but it just looks like the blame. So he takes Gomer in obedience with God to, to God. He, he follows through on this, and Hosea is a, just a tremendous example of faithfulness. But um, so he, he takes her, and uh, she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord tells Hosea what the, to name the children. This becomes significant, uh, what he's telling them to name. So the Lord said, call his name Jezreel, which means God sows or God will sow. God sows. For in a little while, I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring, it, and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Now, if we're studying the book of Hosea, that the story of Jezreel and all that happens there would be important for us to go back to 1 Kings and 2 Kings to look at that. But for now, just keep in mind that the first child is named God sows or God will sow. That comes up later. And in the same way that people uh, reap what they sow, God is also sowing that he might reap a different kind of a harvest. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah. Lo is a Hebrew term for no or not. Just like it's a prefix, just like if we had a un, un, like undecided or non-believer. It's a prefix that just means no or not. So lo ruhama means no, no pity or no mercy. Call her name no mercy. For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by the bow, nor the sword of, or, or battle or horses or men. See, Israel had long since departed from worshiping God, north, the northern tribes of Israel. Now remember that now we have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom made up of Judah and Benjamin. And the northern kingdom goes into captivity first. God's saying through Hosea, um, they'll, they'll have no mercy. They're going to go into captivity. But Judah for now, I'm going to save, keep safe, and I'm going to deliver them by my own hand, not by their strength. But call her name, northern uh, Palestine, Israel, no mercy. Because I'm taking away my mercy. Verse 8. When she had weaned Lo Ruhamah, she received and bore a son. Then God said, Call his name Lo, which means what? Not. Am means people. Me means my. 
Hebrew, me, M-I, means my. So, not my people. Ami would be my, pe my people. Lo, not my people. Call his name, Lo, Ami, for you are not my people. It's interesting to read this in Hebrew because it says, call them Lo, Ami, because Lo, Ami. It just repeats it like that. It's a... Uh, more interesting to read it in Hebrew but we, we get the idea here you are not my people and I will not be your God yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as a sand of the sea which cannot be measured or numbered and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them you are not my people that it shall be said to them you are sons of the living God so you know there's a change coming. It will come to pass that where it was written in the past, you are lo ami, you are not my people. It shall be said to them, not only are you my people, but you are sons of the living God. A term which would not be applied to believers until the New Testament. But God is back in the past looking toward the future of what he was going to do. So even in the midst of saying, I'm going to remove my mercy, he's saying, I'm going to restore Israel. Verse 11, then the, Judah, then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head. They shall come up out, out of the land, for great will be the day of God sows. Great will be the day of God sowing. Say to your brethren, Ami, say to your brethren, my people. Say to your sisters, mercy is shown. Now let's go, uh, if you can hold your place here in Hosea, we'll be, we'll be coming back there in a moment. Let's go to Romans 9 again. First of all, in, uh, from not my people to my people, relating Hosea's prophecy to Israel. We, we saw back in Hosea how God had prophesied this before, that it was something that would happen in the future. And um, verse 25 and 26, here it is. He says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There, shall, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Now that also relates back to what Paul had said earlier. Again, getting back to the point of uh, verse 8. And the first section of first section was verses 6 through 13. If you look at verse 8. Uh, that is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as seed. So the important thing is, well, who are his people and who are his children? It will be said to them, of whom previously it was said, you are not my people, 
Not only are you my people, but you are sons of the living God. Not only are you children, you are sons of the living God. Now, so Hosea's prophecy relates to Israel, and I think that's the easiest way to see it. However, in this passage, I think it even more is meant for us to see relating to the Gentiles. The primary application would seem to be Israel, but there are several textual indicators that would lead us to believe that really what Paul is wanting to show us is how this relates to us as Gentiles and to people of the world. There are several things that point to that. First of all, he begins this section, remember the hinge verse is verse 24, that even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And this is the place I believe he is, he is making a double reference, but he's including the Gentiles in this section. Also of the Gentiles. That he is speaking of the Gentiles, specifically of salvation, is seen in the next passage, if you go to chapter, uh, the same chapter, verse 30 through 32. Romans 9, verse 30 says, What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. So, we know that he is talking about the Gentiles because he, he begins the paragraph with referring to them. He ends the paragraph in referring to the Gentiles being included. Also in verse 27, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, which is an indicator that verses 25 and 26 were not primarily about Israel, but about the Gentiles. Now, it's, it's not that they... That doesn't apply to Israel, but that Paul is using them to apply to the Gentiles. And so we need to think about how that works. Concerning Israel, starts at verse 27 and forward. So verse 25 and 26 are related to believing Gentiles. Those who, from a Jewish point of view, were never considered God's people. They were lo-ami, not my people. They had not received mercy. They, they were not part of God's family, the Gentiles. And so what Paul is saying here, you see how this would apply to the Gentiles. I will call them my people who were not my people. Gentiles. And her beloved who is not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said of them that you are not my people. Even Jesus said when he came to, uh, that he came for the Jews first. Remember the Gentile lady who wanted to uh, have the crumbs that fell from the table at least. Those who were said you are not my people shall be called sons of God. And that, is, that applies to us. And like Israel, it's not to all of Israel who come to have a right relationship with God, but only a remnant. So it is of the, the rest of the world, the Gentile nations. It's not the majority of people 
Christ. Not even a majority of the people in a so-called Christian nation like ours. We are a minority even in our own nation of, of believers. We are a remnant. So the same kind of situation applies to us as to, the, to Israel as far as a remnant. Which is the next thing he talks about. God's calling the remnant. Verse 27 and Our microphone still working? Yeah, okay. Uh, verse 27, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabbath or the Lord of hosts had less left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. So God's calling involves the remnant. These are the vessels of mercy from among the Jews. The, the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the, the remnant will be saved. The, the vessels of mercy... Uh, verse 23 that he might have might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand to glory of the Jews and Gentiles those are uh, of the Jews from among the Jews not every Jew but from among them a remnant a portion of them we already saw how Hosea 1.10 uh, had this to say, though the number of the children of, of Israel be as the sand of the sea, uh, they shall be unto the living God. But he's quoting here the exact same kind of statement from Isaiah chapter 10. So let's go back to Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 10 and we'll start at verse 20. <clears throat> Isaiah 10:20 And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have it of the house of Jacob on him who but will depend on the Lord the whole Israel in truth will return the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God for, for though your people O Israel be as the sand of the sea a remnant of them will return the destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness for the Lord God of hosts will make a determined end in the midst of the land. God would bring back uh, Israel and Judah. Pivity came back. But not only talking about physically, but even spiritually, that even though their number would be as the sand of the sea and there's millions of Jews spread throughout the world, there's only a handful, a remnant who will return to the Lord an actual understanding of Messiah 
and have faith in him. The destruction decreed will overflow with righteousness. God has determined destruction for Israel, but what's going to flow out of the destruction is righteousness, a purification of Israel. One of the ways we see this historically is after the return of, of Israel and Judah from captivity, when they came back into the land, they set up the, the system of the, um, the Pharisees after the time of the, the Maccabean uh, revolt. And the, so the Pharisaical system was set up to guard the law and to make absolutely sure that no one would ever commit spiritual adultery in Israel by going after foreign gods and that never happened again I mean they put an end to it they put a lid on it the Pharisees so pursued righteousness and the letter of the law and uh, had such control over the spiritual lives of people that no one would ever have considered well let's, let's worship the Greek pantheon or something the problem is can we say they went a little overboard? They went so far in putting the lid on worship that it was also not possible to worship the one true God. And when God in the flesh showed up in their midst, they rejected him. So what started out as a good thing uh, ended, ended up bad. So Isaiah also is prophesying about this that, that God's going to bring them back only a remnant though are really going to understand and believe now back to Romans 9 Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel verse 27 Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work, cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. When, when God decides to work, he will do it quickly. So now going back to verse 6, this is carrying on point, Paul's point from there. Verse 6, remember he said, but... It is not that the word of God has taken no effect. He's reminding us in this passage, this litany of verses, this is what God has been saying all along. Here's, in the, here's some examples of passages that God has been saying this. It's not that the word of God has taken no effect, it's that you have not rightly understood the word of God. Verse 7, nor are they all children because they are seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. Those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. They are the ones on whom God will pour out his mercy. They become vessels of mercy. Now, the significance of the remnant. Verse 27 the, ends with saying the remnant will be saved. Verse 29, 
And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of hosts had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Perhaps one of the reasons for bringing out this particular verse is uh, unless the Lord of hosts had left us a seed, hearkening back to verse 7, in Isaac your seed shall be called, uh, remembering that it's God's choice and God's faithful working that all this comes about. God left us a seed. This issue of the remnant of the remnant is given here for two reasons. One of them is the message of judgment and the other is at the same time the message of hope. We mingling those two together here. First of all the message of judgment at to see by the comparison here that uh, verse 29 unless the Lord of Sabbath or host had left us a seed what would have happened? We would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. And what was their end? Spot in the road. A deserted spot where nothing will grow, even to this day. Devastation completely wiped out. Unless God had been faithful to work, we would have been like that because we deserve his punishment. And there, the reason that there is only a remnant is because God punishes sin. And everyone deserves it. But God in his mercy puts on some, makes them vessels of mercy. The reason there's only a remnant is because there's a message of judgment against sin. But at the same time, there's also the message of hope. Verse 23, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called not of the Jews only, but also Gentiles. That God is giving them in the midst of, of rightful judgment that he is calling vessels of mercy to himself. And as verse 27 ends, the remnant will be saved. Looking here, Israel also cries out concerning Israel. Though you are vast in number, just a remnant will be saved. Now jump over to chapter 11, verses 1 through 5 of Romans 11. I, I say then, has God cast away his people, Israel? It's, that's a very important question. Theologically and understanding salvation history. Has, has God decided I'm going to have nothing to do with Israel anymore? I don't owe them anything. I'm not going to deal with them anymore. 
Or is God yet going to work with Israel? It's a key question here that Paul brings up. I say then, has God cast away his people? And his characteristic answer? Certainly not. In no way may it never be. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, note the timing. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. There will always be, and there is today, a group of believers from among Israel who are Jews, who believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Now, years ago when I was uh, at a student at Dallas Seminary, I attended a, a Bible church in the area. Four of the six elders were Jewish. They had all come from certain area of the country where they had been brought up as Hasidic Jews. Orthodox Jews. One of them came to Christ and called his brother. And you got to hear this story. And these four men and their families, I, I'm not sure why they, they moved to the Dallas area, but they, they did. And they, they started this church. And um, by the time I got there, it was a flourishing church and just... Uh, a very interesting church to be around at like Passover time and uh, they had all these stories and the insight that they had into Old Testament and uh, the festivals and so forth just was remarkable but it was a reminder to me that here, here was a church of many Messianic Jews they call themselves either Messianic Jews or completed Jews that is they, they still believe they're Jews still hold to their Jewish roots but, but they don't you know they don't sacrifice lambs or anything like that they believe that Jesus Christ was sacrificed for them and he is the Messiah who is to return but anyways I had a personal experience of worshipping with the remnant of Israel or part of them and um, that's, that's what Paul is talking about. And even to today, that kind of thing is going on and will continue on into the end when God is going to marvelous work in the, in the nation of Israel in the end times with 144,000 Jewish evangelists and, and bring multiple thousands to himself. Of course, many will be killed in those days as well. But God is not yet done with his, with his plan and there remains even today, a remnant according that the uh, election of grace might stand. Now, for us, let's close with looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. 
while you're, while you're turning there, 1 Peter chapter 2, you know how the end of uh, Romans 9 talks about the Jews having stumbled at the stumbling stone uh, who is Christ. Well, Peter's talking about that here in verse 6. It's also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. End of Romans 9 which Peter is bringing up here in Romans 2. And now he says something which also is a reflection of Romans 9, but now connected to Gentile believers as well. First uh, Peter 2, 9. But you, you who once were lo ruhama, no mercy, you who once were lo ami, not my people, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, in order that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look at verse 10. Who once were lo-ami, who once were not a people, but now are people of God who had not obtained mercy lo ruhama but now have obtained mercy that is Hosea uh, applied to you you were once not a people you didn't belong to God but now you are his people you once had not obtained mercy, but by God's grace you have obtained mercy that we might proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Our great God and King, we bow before you and thank you for your gracious work in our life that we who once were not your people who, who did not know you we didn't love you in fact we were your enemies you have called us to be your people set your mercy upon us by your grace we are mercy we praise you for that we praise you for your plan as we see, um, there's so much of it that, that it's hard for us to see in the moment. But we trust your word. We trust your plan. We trust your ways that you know what you are doing and what you will bring to pass. I pray for each one here, Lord, if, if they have a personal relationship with you, that we might rejoice all the more at your great grace upon us. That you called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. If there's any here who don't know you, oh God, that you might put upon their heart a desire to be called your, your child, a son of the living God. You have supplied all that is necessary 
through the death and resurrection of our great Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.